0: You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride.
1: Well, hello, I'm Emma Goswell. Time now for my second Weekend Outing. Yes, not only have I not been sacked, they have let me back and they've extended my show by an hour. Uh, Now, listen, I know it's not about size, but the show is even bigger and girthier than last week, if that is entirely possible. Coming up on tonight's show, you'll meet the woman who thought she was straight for over 30 years until her partner came out as bisexual and non-binary trans-feminine and made her question her own sexuality. You will also find out about a brilliant LGBT event if, like me, you're the wrong side of 50. I should probably say the right side of 50, actually, shouldn't I? And, of course, we'll be hearing from someone who's done their bit to change history. And make life a little bit better for all of us. Now this week we'll be hearing from a campaigner who helped change the law when it comes to gay men donating blood. Let's just say he has got a lot to celebrate this weekend. Yes, unless he have been hiding under a rock, you will know that the rights of gay men to give blood has massively changed in the last week thanks to a lot of people but particularly thanks to Ethan Spivey from Freedom to Donate who joins me now well I guess I should say first of all congratulations Ethan.
2: Thank you so much yeah it's been a really exciting week.
1: Well we're lucky to have you aren't we because I know you've been in demand everywhere all over the TV and radio and uh, they've all been after you haven't they?
2: Always got time to chat always happy to chat.
1: Ah bless you. So (laughs) firstly I mean um, before we talk about what happened on Monday let's just go back in history a little bit and remind people just how discriminatory the blood donation practices were in this country.
2: Yeah so um, I've been I've been campaigning on this for six years but I mean I I'm I'm very passionate about LGBTQ equality and I I, you know I really strongly believe that we you know we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before Mm. us and it um, goes back a long time and goes back to um, a, a quite horrendous policy Um, based on stigma um, and discrimination from the HIV crisis whereby any gay and bisexual man, or or how the blood service terms it as men who have sex with men, um, were completely banned from donating blood. Um, So when we kind of got involved, and I've kind of got a personal reason for for starting this, um, Mm. the, the policy was that you uh, could not donate blood if you had touched another man in the last 12 months. Um, well, even,
1: even that was progress. I remember reporting yeah. on that when that came in. So previously it was if you'd ever had, if you were ever a man who had had sex with a man at any point or you know said you were gay, you were not getting anywhere near a blood donation. They were not putting the needle in your arm. Exactly. And, and then they changed it to a year. And I remember back in the day interviewing this lad who had given up sex for a year. So he could give blood. I mean, that is making a statement, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm passionate about the campaign. I don't know if I'm that passionate. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, you know, it really highlights the point, which is it was ludicrous. Um, and not only was it ridiculous from a, a practical perspective, but it was completely indefensible from a medical mm-hmm. perspective. Um, so, you know, that was so, yeah, it, it, the, 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 to answer your question, it goes, it goes back, you know, to, to that era. Um, obviously, people uh, and charities have been, you know, work on this for years. But it's kind of in the last few years that we've had some like two changes in the last few years that Mm. um, Freedom State has kind of um, worked really closely on. Um, And we've seen a step change in how the policy um, has has evolved here in the UK. And I honestly think that now we're in a position and well, I know I I spoke to a a kind of group in Australia this morning Mm. whereby people are watching the UK, the eyes of the world, as he said to me are on the UK right now because we now have a policy for the first time ever that does not ask you uh, about your sexuality in effect. It simply asks anyone and everyone exactly the same questions to determine your level of risk.
1: Exactly because it's all about risk isn't it and there's no way on earth that you can prove that a gay man is less safe than a straight man who sleeps around or a straight woman who sleeps around. It's just it's absolute nonsense isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, and I think that is on two levels really, which is like firstly the statement of saying if you're gay, you must be risky, which yep. is probably which is so problematic in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, feeds into a really, you know, awful narrative that, you know, not just gay men, but LGBTQ people have, have kind of been othered and excluded for, for way too long. Mm-hmm. There's that first point to it. But then, you know, the second point to it is it's, it's entirely medically indefensible. Like you can't have a policy that basically says to an entire population that you must all therefore be, you know, way too, you know, we're not going to touch you kind of thing. And, and you know, to say that from one side of your mouth, whilst at the other side of your mouth, asking for new donors to come forward.
1: Yeah, the thing know, about this, Ethan, is not only is it discriminatory against um, gay men in particular, it's risking lives of everybody you know people are maybe dying because they can't get the blood donations they need it's a scandal isn't it i mean i don't need to tell you this but yeah just making me angry just thinking about (laughs) it
2: but that's that's what's really important here and you know monday is is a big step i honestly believe this i'm really passionate about this and i think it's a, it's a real fundamental like signal and step change for gay and bisexual men and I hope is a, is a broader message about how, you know, w- we should all, you know, focus on a more inclusive and fairer policy and, you know, we know LGBTQ people severe that have a severe lack of access to health service and excluded from uh, mm. accessing health and uh, amongst uh, obviously a huge range of other things. But I think you know, that's a really, really important signal and it means a lot to a lot of people, but you also have to remember that this is, a- this is about blood. Blood mm. saves lives and mm. every single donation can save up to three lives. Like, but it's, it's one of those things that people don't really talk about and it potentially kind of gets forgotten, but you know those unsung heroes who go to those blood donation clinics genuinely save lives every single day. And yeah. the statistics are that one in four people in our lives will need blood at some point, point. one in four. So statistically, either your parents or grandparents are going to need blood. Um, for me, it was my granddad, and it will impact and affect us uh, all of us at some point in our lives. So, you know, that's that's why this is this is really, really important for everyone, not just and bisexual men.
1: Well, let's come to talk about that in a minute. But first of all, just remind people what changed on Monday, though. So uh, a while ago, it was you had to abstain from sex for a year. Um, until Monday, it was you had to abstain from sex for three months, right? And that's oral and anal. Um, yeah, so and then on Monday, what changed?
2: So so two kind of real fundamental points changed, which is firstly, um, everyone is asked the same question. Um, It's not about men who have sex with men. It's about anyone and everyone is asked about their sexual behavior. And that in itself is huge Mm -hmm. uh, and a real fundamental shift away from a othering category that we've kind of had previously. And the second kind of specific change on that is, you know, this isn't about whether you're in a relationship or monogamous. You can have multiple uh, sexual partners. Those partners have to be oral sex uh, and anyone, not just gay and bisexual men, um, can have one anal sex partner in the previous three months. So apologies for being uh, explicit, but it's important because yeah. that, that, that also, again, applies to everyone. And I, I would I've had so, so, you know many questions about kind of, you know, well, are you actually just saying that men in relationships can't donate blood? Sorry, not in relationships, can't donate blood. The first thing I'd say to that is, um, a a definition of monogamy potentially is not, multiple oral sex partners. And the second point to that is, straight people have anal sex too. It's (laughs) it's a shocking fact, um, but it is one I've been made aware of recently, and it's true. So, you know, this for the first time, levels that playing field. And that's based on the objective evaluation of risk uh, on, on sexual uh, sexual activity, and you know that has to be you know the fairest way of doing it. Um, do, can it go further? Of course, of course it can. And an individual risk based policy should be as tailored and as individual as possible. But this is a this is a step. This is a real fundamental change in how we assess people, how we judge people effectively. Uh, and how those questions are, ta- are specifically tailored on sexual activity, not on the basis of sexuality.
1: And how did it happen? How did we get to the stage we got to a Monday where loads of gay men specifically turned up to give blood? Mm. I mean, it must, you said you have been campaigning for six years. I guess it wasn't just you, was it? I know Terence Higgins Trust have been involved. There's been a few different organisations. What was the process?
2: Yeah, Terrence Higgins Trust are one of many who are just, you know, fantastic, um, mm. really incredible organisation. And, and um, yeah, of course, again, you know, back to that point, it, you know, it builds on work that's been done previously. It's, you know, non, you know equality doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, progress is very slow and hard won. Um, and it's taken a lot of people, a lot of energy and passion and time to do this. So um, from, from kind of our perspective, six years ago, we set about building a campaign between the charities. So Stonewall and Terrence Higgins Trust, the LGBT Foundation, National AIDS Trust, um, and also, kind of other groups too. Hmm. We then kind of set about my background professionally is in is in um, government relations and public affairs. So we then set about kind of raising this up the political agenda through engagement in both houses uh, and with directly with the government and the Department for Health and, and Social Care and Number 10. And then we also kind of ran a consumer campaign too alongside that. So we had a, a kind of petition, we had art installations, we did public um, uh, stunts with like uh, people like Lush in Oxford Street. So we kind of had those three pillars uh, of the campaign, mm. which led us to the point um, for the first time in 2015, when the review was announced that we were invited in and we've sat on this working group within the Department for Health and Social Care. Probably being a thorn in the side, um, you Good. know, really, really kind of um, championing the cases for an individual risk-based policy for, for six years now, um, and now that policy is the official government policy. So it's a it's a huge win. Uh, I think there's there's more to do. Terence Higgins just rightly point out how there are still areas that need improving, and, and they have done an incredible job on that. Um, um, and you know, all of that work together has led us to a policy which, although no one would suggest is the perfect policy, is a pioneering policy for gay and bisexual men anywhere in the world.
1: And when you were invited in for the first time to be part of the steering group, what sort of noises were government making? Were they accepting that the policy was biased and unfair?
2: Yeah, it was it was odd. It was really weird, to be honest, because, you know, you set about kind of shouting from the outside and, and then you kind of secure a place at the table in a way. And I think that's important because we knew that was our goal. We had to, you know, you, I think strategically speaking, you know, you've got to be able to make, a, you know, an argument where, whereby you are brought in and can actually affect the change. Um, and it, it was important for us to do that. So we joined, we joined, um, you know, and worked really, really closely alongside the Department of Health and Social Care and, and Number 10 for, for quite a number of years now. Um, NHS blood and transplant have always been very supportive and that's all credit to them. And. Um, there are a number of blockers and barriers as to why it's potentially not happened sooner. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, they have worked very, very well with us. So, you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm not going to, to be negative, but I think, you know, an issue about prioritization was a key. Why look at this now? Why is oh. this a focus now? And. To be fair, you know, to secure two policy changes in three years is and you know is unheard of um, really from a government perspective, particularly with the last few years and the and Brexit and obviously other focuses. So, you know, two policy changes in several years is is pretty unheard of in in, in that in 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 that case. I and that so. speaks, and that speaks to their own, you know, that credit to NHS blood and transplant for that. You know, but but also you know, there's there's a range of voices who who obviously is kind of you know is are involved in that and some people, you know, are conscious and kind of potentially more cautious about gay and bisexual men being included and, and that those voices were also kind of there too. So, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of like several things you've got to navigate in a way. Um, but I think, you know, we really just focused on, on, uh, on the objective and the objective was a, 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 a safe and sufficient blood supply for everyone. And that has to be a good thing. Like that is win-win, more people safely donate blood more people feel included, it's a fairer system, and there's more safe blood for everyone to, 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 to literally save lives.
1: It sounds like an obvious argument, doesn't it? And thank God we got there in the end. Tell us what led to you setting it up and tell us what led to you being so annoyed about the fact that you couldn't give blood.
2: Yeah, I, for me, it was, it was really, really personal. And it, and, and it really is for so many when it kind of, you know, you, you're made conscious about the, the blood, you know, blood donations system. And for me, um, my granddad, who they they live around the corner from me uh, at where I grew up, and I was basically allowed to get away with anything at grandma and granddad's that I wasn't allowed to get away with at home yeah. so i was I was super, super close to my grandma and granddad like a second set of parents and, and granddad went through a major operation really out of the blue, completely kind of unexpected. And he needed eight pints of blood throughout the operation. Um, oh. he, he pulled through incredibly, miraculously. Um, and he, we were obviously just, you know, absolutely so relieved that he he he'd pulled through. Um, and from that, basically, you know, we, we kind of, you know, were obviously told about what had happened. And, you know, these eight pints of blood, you know, we were told without this, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't have made it. Um, so, as, a, as almost a kind of like a, a, a pact, I guess, like a family, you know, like a way yeah. to, to, to kind of pay that back, mum and dad was said, you know, we should donate blood. You know, they, they hadn't donated blood and, you know, it's kind of like, almost she felt guilty for not doing that, I think. And then, you know, from that moment, it was that we were gonna pay this donor back who's, who saved granddad's life. Um, and then dad kind of brought home the, he'd <laughs> always bring it home, his briefcase he'd printed off at work, brought home the kind of questions that you, you were asked before you donate blood uh, about whether you're eligible. And you know there's a whole range of questions there about travel and tattoos and piercings and all of these kind of points. And then down the page was this question, have you had sex with a man in the last 12 months? I wasn't out to my parents at the time and, and froze on the spot and essentially, I think I made up an excuse about being afraid of needles and did what any uh, child would do and ran upstairs and hid in my bedroom uh, and and hoped the whole thing would go away oh god um, how
1: old were you at this point
2: so that uh, that was it was 2007 i think he had his operation in 2002 2008 yeah. so i was kind of i was at college i wasn't out to my parents and 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 it was a kind of I I just kind of wanted to bury it, to be honest, like, I I felt really guilty, but I shamed about it, I suppose, Mm. and also kind of one of those moments, and, you know, we all experience this as LGBTQ people in, in, you know, in so many different ways, where you realise you're kind of not either wanted by the system or included, uh, and, you know, you're not able to kind of be part of something, and it was kind of, you know, from that, that, I went away to uni uh, and I went to London and I kind of started to get involved and I got involved in an equal marriage campaign and kind of started getting involved in equality movements. And I kind of thought back to that moment that that I'd I'd really kind of burned quite a, it was a real moment of kind of, um, it's just something that really impacted me, I guess.
1: You must have felt frustrated. You must have felt like you were letting your granddad down. You'd all promised as a family to give blood and you couldn't do it.
2: I honestly felt awful. Um, Mum and dad were then going and donating blood and I basically, like, as far as they were concerned, I'd made up this excuse that I just was a bit afraid of needles. I felt, it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling. Um, And I kind of, from that moment said, I will do something about this regardless. Like I went to uni and said, you know, of course, you know, I was 18, I went to uni and started to get involved in these campaigns and thought, You know, that is something I'm really, really passionate about. I want to do something about it. So kind of with some help of friends and and beg beg and borrow and steal from anyone who kind of got involved with the campaign, we launched Freedom Sonate about six years ago now. Um, and you know, that had a real focus. We, we, we definitely took some time to say, you know, we really need to work out exactly what this campaign is going to be about. And, you know, six years later, the UK has one of the most progressive blood donation policies in the world. And, and, um, I donated blood on Monday and I did, I welled up a little Yay! bit. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit emotional. Uh, and you know, that was, that was for my granddad, uh, who is, is no longer with us, but it was, it was, a, it was, it was, it was an emotional moment. And, um, You know, I I promised him I wouldn't stop. And unfortunately, I'm uh, short and very stubborn. So uh, that's very unfortunate for the blood service. But I promised I would never stop until I could repay that donor. And um, on Monday, I did.
1: That must have felt incredible, right?
2: it was weird yeah it was it was just an odd moment because you know you so, you're so engaged with this for so many years and you know if you if i if i went on mastermind my specialist subject would be bloodborne viruses and the blood donation system in the uk <laughs> and i can talk to you about Snappy. <laughs> for hours but you know it, it, it you kind of you're almost you spend years and years and years talking about these things and you finally get to sit there and it was just it was just an odd sensation and it was it was emotional like I was very very close to my grandma and granddad and you know I still think I, I, I wore a kind of ring that was one of uh, was my grandma's that he gave my granddad uh, granddad gave grandma mm. on the day and it was a it was a real emotional moment and um yeah they were they were with me they were with me on Monday
1: Oh, of course they were. And did you see any other gay men there? There was a lot of people posting on social media, weren't there?
2: Honestly, it was like downtown Soho in that blood donation <laughs> clinic. I'm not exaggerating. It was it was bizarre, like really? fantastic. Um, and yeah. the, the person behind me was Richard, who's uh, the head of public affairs at the Terence Higgins Trust. Great. Absolute legend who's been working on this, you know, obviously really, really closely. Uh, and and we've been working together on so he actually had the seat my seat after me so that was that was a kind of weird um, uh, kind of coincidence but it was fantastic and it wasn't just in that clinic it was I can't tell you how many people have, have, have tweeted, have messaged, have emailed, and we've got to, you know, it's a very personal thing for many people. So for all the, for the, for the you know, for every one tweet you see, I promise you there are 20 people who message because mm-hmm. it's such a, it's, it's, you know, many people have such personal reasons for doing this. And to see that support is, is genuinely kind of, you know, heartwarming because again, we're getting back to what this is really about. And this is about people, Literally survive because of the blood donation system in yep. the UK because people donate blood. And to see that kind of huge potential finally unlocked and these people being, you know, what is frankly an injustice, being able to do something that wanted you for years is, you know, really felt like a moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, my sister went into hospital about a year ago. She had terminal cancer. And I wasn't really aware of this, how much, how many blood donations are given to people with cancer. Yeah. And, you know, she survived a, definitely a few more months and her life was a bit more comfortable because you're always measuring platelets when you've got cancer. And she had a number of blood transfusions towards the end of her life. Sadly, she passed away with secondary breast cancer in October last year and I made the same promise to her that you made to your granddad. And I said, I will start giving blood. I'd done it once when I was a student and just been lazy or stupid and never got back to it. Um, and I am now doing that and, and make mm. sure I'm, I'm doing it regularly because, you know, it was just one of the many things that I promised her. And it's yeah. so, so important to so many people.
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. But you're, you're absolutely right, though. that 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 is why people feel so passionately mm. about it. It, it, it. You know, and it... So it doesn't hit you until it happens in yeah. a way and you you know you're right you're right about cancer treatment it's about transfusion in newborn babies it's about mm-hmm. bone marrow you know transplant as well alongside blood and plasma donation mm-hmm. there are like there are so, it, I mean, it's about COVID-19 and we can't get away from it there was a trial at guys in St Thomas's here last year that gay and bisexual men were excluded from um, because of the basis on the plasma that was being used to treat patients with COVID. So the, it's, it's not, you know, people think it's about kind of blood going into, you know, arms and other people, basically. There are so many things that blood, is, blood and blood products are used for. Um, and, you know, even, I mean, my mum has been a neonatal nurse, and she's been in the NHS for 40 years. And she knows that, you know, newborn babies, for example, all the treatments involved with using blood for newborn babies. And people always mm-hmm. think it's kind of like, a road traffic accident or things like that. It's, there's such a huge range of these things, and again, that's that's one of the reasons why this is so important um, because it impacts so many people throughout their lives. You know, not just not just at kind of you know key points, but you know, whichever treatment it may be. And and that's again, it's one of the unsung things about the the bird donation service that you know people do it each and every day, and all they get for it is a biscuit. You know, you don't, get, you, don't you don't get anything for it.
1: Oh no, you get orange squash as well. All Biscuits, right,
2: all okay, right, a bit of squash, and I had a bourbon, actually, partial to the <laughs> bourbon. Um, I would have gone for a hobnob, but it wasn't there. Um, but you know, that's literally what people get, and you know, we forget mm. about that, and we should really celebrate those people more because mm. they they are genuinely, you know, the definition of heroes because they they yeah. save lives each and every day. And you know, to, to finally be a part of that is 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 genuinely just just feels.
1: I it is an honour. And I bet you've had amazing feedback, haven't you? Just so many people thanking you or celebrating. What's this week been like?
2: Yeah, I, weird. Um, I, you know, very personal for like mum and dad. And, you know, I was quite emotional with mum and dad on Monday. Um, you know, well, but let me
1: just check then. I assume you did come out to them and uh, they, they were I aware did, of all your I campaign did. work.
2: <laughs> yeah, not too long after, actually, a year or two later. And obviously, you know, it probably would have been a bit of a giveaway with the campaign.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: but uh, they, they have always been the most incredible support and um, stood there the day we launched the campaign in, in the House of Parliament six mm. years ago. And have stood there ever since and, and they, they are the most incredible parents. Um, and you're right about kind of people getting in touch and it's, it's it, I, I love it. Like it is genuinely, you know, it just really brings a smile to my face. Um, and it's it's also you know really important to remember that so many people have, have kind of put their t- energy and passion into this yes. so many people you know speaking about this all all around the country and, uh, and around the world frankly and you know that that to, the, the, the one thing I've taken from it is that you know change is possible change is difficult and change is hard one and it takes time but it is possible and you know on, on such a backdrop of there are so many Points happening around the world and in the uk that impact lgbtq people every day of their lives i'm forever the optimist and you know the power of those charities and campaigners and individuals and you know yes the blood service who've you know (laughs) worked with us uh, despite probably been you know annoying to them but have worked with us for years you know credit to everyone involved in that because these things don't happen overnight and believe me they take you know it's 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 difficult but um, you know, change is possible, and I find that I, that really drives me, and that really I find that genuinely kind of inspiring to, to kind of think about what we can do. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's, it's it's an amazing moment, um, and it's one we should all kind of take as a win. Um, we should take it as a win, celebrate it and then get back to work because there's there's way more to do.
1: Ah, Well, that was my next question, Ethan, and my <laughs> final one, probably. Um, so congratulations again. And thank you for being so humble and acknowledging that it's not just you. There are a whole raft of people involved in this, although you are very prominent. What is next? You're not going to sit on your ass and rest on your laurels, are you, I guess?
2: I'm, I'm Unfortunately, I'm not the kind I get. I get very. <laughs> I've got too much energy, and I get very passionate about things. He's just you
1: been know. out for a jog, by the way. Sitting there yeah. in his jogging gear, he's a right doer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did, I mean, blood donation for sure. So you know, there's, there's, there's points. And Tara Higgins just have led on this, and and again, credit to them. Of you know, there's way more that we should do on on how you individualize a policy. And again, yeah. a whole range of people. Um, black and minority ethnic people are being excluded from donating blood based on on, on what, you know where they've lived and where their partners travel to. So credit to Terence Higgins Trust, you've really carried the mantle on this particular issue like, like particularly well. Um, so there's there's absolutely more to do, and we will you know we're absolutely in in you know we should we'll get back to the grind on that around the world. There's there's more to do. Um, I've been speaking to groups in Sweden, in Australia, and the US, and previously in uh, Ireland. Um, New Zealand and Canada so there's more to do here and these changes will impact the blood donation services around the world Um, and I I do have another kind of thing up my sleeve too on on an equality project that I've kind of been uh, working on for the last few months so I'm not finished Uh, it's something that I genuinely get a lot from I I think I think it's our responsibility frankly to leave leave the place better than how we found it and building on that incredible work of the people before us um, and yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. You know, back. I'll take. I'll take a few days off.
1: I think you should, then... love. Yeah, I think you should have at least a couple of days off. <laughs>
2: yeah, and then for sure back to
1: it. A big thank you to the very hardworking and dedicated Ethan Spiby. I just love how his story contrasts so much to Lucia's story from last week. If you listened last week, we heard her story. She's in a sort of mid seventies, I'd say, and she's been campaigning for LGBT equality since the sixties and seventies. But listening to Ethan it just goes to show that there is always something to fight for, isn't there? We still haven't got full equality, but what a massive difference his campaign and others have had, so that gay men can go in and give blood and not be discriminated against as they have been for the last God knows how many years. I tell you what, if you're interested in this story, actually, do go to virginradio.co.uk because they have done a news story on this very topic. And hopefully, we convinced you, myself, and Ethan to give blood. If you've never done it before, this is your opportunity to literally save lives by giving up maybe an hour of your time and some of your blood. It is so easy to do. I really urge you to do it. It's so rewarding to know that you are literally helping people and changing lives basically and saving them just go to blood.co.uk register and go and do it Couldn't be easier. And as you said, you get free pop and biscuits as well. (laughs) What's not to love?
0: You ready?
3: The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell.
1: Virgin Radio Pride. Yep, it's me, Emma Goswell. Thanks for tuning in. This is my Weekend Outing. Yep, more inspiring LGBT stories than you could shake a sparkly glitter-covered stick at. Um, yeah, it's super gay, basically. Loads more inspiring interviews to come. Um, and some great music. I mean, I say super gay. There was a very worrying incident earlier this week where my girlfriend actually thought that I was straight and was covering up a big affair and maybe I was actually married with kids to a man. Um, so what happened was she was looking through my diary. I mean, it sounds like she's a right snoop. She's not. I, we were going through my diary together. And she found something in my diary for this week that said, Ian, fiancé. She was very confused. And I was very confused. I was like, but I haven't got a fiancé. And if I did, I don't think they'd be called Ian, let's just say. Um, Anyway, this just goes to show what an awful speller I really am. And, um, yeah, it was a meeting with my financial advisor, Ian. Ian finances down in, in my diary. What a plonker. That'll teach me to learn how to spell. Anyway, so I'm not getting engaged to a man called Ian, despite the rumours. Right, shall we get round then to the actual outing on the weekend outing? Time now to meet an extraordinary and wonderful and gorgeous queer couple, I'm going to call them for want of a better description, Amanda and Thea. They've both been on, shall we say, quite a journey in the last year or two. Um, But Thea, I think the story really begins with you because while Amanda's been questioning her sexuality probably only um, fairly recently, she didn't question it till she was 36, I think the journey really starts with you because, I mean, you've been married for over 10 years now, haven't you, as a couple? But the story starts with you, Thea. So tell us a bit about how you identify and and when you work that out.
3: So uh, I identify as um, bisexual and also non-binary trans-feminine. I think I knew at a young age that there was something slightly different about me Hmm. and growing up in sort of the area of section 28 there was only a very limited thing of that you could actually explore or know what was about really and uh, so you
1: were going to school in the 80s weren't you
3: yeah absolutely Hmm. so I knew there was things that, that were different about me compared to other people but I I knew I wasn't completely straight it was always that binary it felt like a binary choice um you know you were either straight or gay and it was like anything else kind of just wasn't didn't exist in my world and um you know i, I and so i knew uh, around about sort of 18 19 that that i was attracted to more than just than women mm. um but i i just kind of acknowledged it there and just put it on a shelf in my mind because I couldn't really deal with it at that point I knew it but I couldn't kind of admit it and I wasn't in a situation to do it I was in um, my family kind of kind of socially conservative I'd say in 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 a lot of ways
1: so you admitted it to yourself essentially yeah um, and exactly. that you weren't straight but you never verbalized it you never sort of came out no, in the 80s or 90s no, as a younger absolutely.
3: Person. Uh, you know, growing up with, under the AIDS epidemic, it was terrifying. The only thing we learned about gay people at school was to do with AIDS. And so you kind of like, sound like a good thing does it when you've got no I mean I've spoken to so
1: many people whose uh, you know parents were just convinced if you come out as gay you move to London you get AIDS and die you know that's Mm, that's generally what parents thought in the 80s I'm making a massive generalization there of course (laughs) but but you're right it was a different time yeah yeah
3: absolutely so for me it was just something I kind of knew to myself one of the things that helped me weirdly enough I mean it was a difficult point in our lives Um, we were both kind of just got out of work because Amanda got ill and then I got ill trying to look after her and trying to do everything as well and uh I was quite depressed and actually I looked into Christianity and one of the things i realised was that it kind of helped me I don't know if any it helped anyone but I knew that that God would love me whatever I was. And even though I was sort of bisexual, I knew that that love was, was kind of infinite. And that helped me kind of actually accept it weirdly in, a, in my own way. Um, I
1: think you're the first person that's ever said that to me. it's quite <laughs> interesting, you know, because I mean I normally speak was... to people whose stories are yeah. complicated by religion and their families yeah. because they were devoutly religious. And I'm talking all religions here. I'm not yeah. singling out any religion.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Made
1: it more complicated to come out because what the perceived words were in the Bible mm. or the Quran or whatever mm. text it was.
3: Mm. I, I just I just felt this all-encompassing love. and It was almost like a promise. This was, my promise was kind of like, will you if you accept me even though I'm this that you know then I'll be okay and and that from that point onwards I you know I was I was kind of more of a Christian but I knew this thing it was inside me and I think it was um at the beginning of 20 sort of 2019 I'd actually had therapy. I've been I've been in therapy for sort of two, three years for depression and anxiety. And it was actually, we will coming to the point where I'd actually dealt with a lot of the anxiety and the depression. And so I had I was free to, to 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 actually think about other things than this crushing weight of depression and anxiety. So my therapist was like, Oh, should we do we need to finish it? And I was like there's something else underneath that I kind of need to dig at. And I kind of, I actually, I spoke to her about it and was like, I think, you know, I think I'm bisexual and, she was like that's fine you know she 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 grew up in manchester so she was very familiar with her with lots of people really different you'd
1: hope a therapist wouldn't judge you anyway wouldn't you really
3: <laughs> well you I would mean, you on quickly yeah. <laughs> you, you would and i i think i'm very lucky to, to you know she was she was training so it was part of her thing was mm. was having people to do and so it was really helpful to be able to come out to somebody and the third party that didn't know anybody and then so hang on
1: was she the first person you came out to then or did you come out to Amanda first
3: I think I talked about it with her first and then talked about it with Amanda and Amanda was kind of like oh because I think she sort of already knew in many ways there was lots of things that I'd said in the past that that indicated to her that I wasn't
1: what like? Oh, he's fit. As someone walks down the street.
3: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it was watching an episode of Doctor Who
4: when early on in our relationship. Was, was it? Yes, and Thea was more uh, attractive to uh, one of the male characters than I was and I was like oh okay it,
3: it was was this um, Captain
1: Jack Sparrow Bernie? it, it was, was yes yeah <laughs> how it did was, you know it was it was like
3: oh I like him he's very dashing and uh, and oh, it was like brilliant. oh yeah I like him I know <laughs> you do describe
1: than... yourself on your um, Twitter profile as being a bit of a geek so you've, uh, you've definitely ticked that box <laughs> yeah <laughs>
3: Love that. yeah definitely so it was Yeah, and so I I came out to you and then sort of the pandemic hit, sort of the, you know, I was quite excited. uh, I sort of January, I came out and then I think I told more people, you know, as you do, you kind of come out to more people and everyone was mostly fine. And I actually found that very easy.
1: And how did did you find that, Amanda? Because this is essentially your husband at the Mm. time telling you that they're bisexual. How did you react?
4: Honestly, it... Like Thea says, it wasn't really a shock to me. Mm. And, you know, we'd been in a relationship for 14 years at this point. So Mm. whereas other people might be like, oh, does this change anything? I was like, if it was going to change anything, it would have changed before now. You know, we're in a committed relationship. It doesn't matter to me if she's attracted to other people and men and women, Mm. because I know that our relationship is secure and and that's fine. You know, people can feel attraction to other people. Um, what what I found more challenging was when uh, Thea came out as non-binary. That that
1: was a bigger challenge. Uh, okay, and when did this happen? So it sounds like it's fair, all fairly recent. You're talking lockdown, so we're talking Absolutely. the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, so essentially at the beginning of this year, mm. and actually slightly before that, I knew there was more than just this bisexuality and there was more There was something else I wanted to explore and I think the first thing that I did was just I just found some there was some gold nail polish that Amanda had from Christmas or something and nice I, and yeah. I just thought I'm gonna paint my nails actually when when I did that it kind of freaked you out and it freaked Oscar out and, and this, uh, is, this my, is your child guess, you have to yeah, yeah they were both kind of what have you done? <laughs> and you were, you, you, and actually it kind of stopped me for a while from thinking, Oh, I, I shouldn't do it because it was so, you know, because we're kind of close and we're always around each other. It was kind of like, Oh, maybe I just, I won't do it yet. And then I, I felt like this urge, I need to do it again. And I was mm. like, can I, can I get some more, can I get some, would you mind it? Cause I, I spoke to my therapist about it and she was like, well, you know, ask her, see what you can do. I think it was because it was a surprise and it was out of the blue. Mm. Whereas I said, look, if, can I get some nail polish just to just to try, just, to, just for fun at home? And because we're in lockdown, there was nothing to do apart from be at home and do things at home. And it was exactly. like... You
1: might as well have nice nails during lockdown, might you? Exactly. exactly. Yeah.
3: So it was like... And then beginning of this year, I felt this pull towards more of a, a feminine appearance and a feminine identity Uh, had you
1: already come out as non-binary at this point
3: no no so it's all
1: going on in your head but you did sort of talk to your therapist about it obviously you Mm. talked to your therapist and then last year Mm
0: -hmm.
4: you weren't thea wasn't openly talking to me about it because i think i'd had that reaction that initial reaction and it scared Mm. her off but i was picking up on okay something's going on because we are very in tune with each other so there were a couple of points where mm-hmm. I once was when we were watching an episode of Queer Eye and I just stopped it. And I was like, I need to ask you something. And I don't know how to ask you this, but are you happy being a man? And at that point, you struggled to answer it. So then a few <laughs> more months like went by.
3: Uh... <laughs> and then
4: we had that conversation again. Um, and in typical Amanda and Thea um, style we had the conversation we were getting ready for bed and you were doing your teeth and I was like I need to go to the loo and then I was like I'm gonna ask her because we're in this room together and I just like blurted it out and and that's when you eventually came out and that was probably around last September time I think yeah,
1: was... so what words did you use what did you say can you can remember
4: it was again I need to ask you again are you happy being a man I didn't mm. want to put a, a word on it. I didn't want to go, oh, do you want to be a woman? Or uh, I, yeah. I, did, I I just wanted to know if she was happy as she was.
3: Mm. And, and and just going back slightly for, for me, I'd questioned in 2011, round about when my son was born, I'd looked into it because there was lots of things coming up about it in the, the media and so on. Mm. And I'd looked into it and I thought, I'm not a trans woman. I'm not. And I couldn't kind of didn't understand non-binary at that point for me. And it was like, well, I'm not a trans woman though, but I feel like I'm more than, than, than what I am. And when she, when Amanda asked, it was like, yeah, it was like, I, I couldn't answer it because it was like, yes, I knew, I didn't have the, 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 the language to describe it really. And I ex- started exploring and reading and um, reading different books listening to different books, listening to other, other non-binary and trans people, hmm. to, to try and see, is is this thing matching up with what I feel inside?
1: So you didn't feel 100% masculine, but you didn't no. feel 100% feminine,
3: no? No, you know. and but I always knew I felt more feminine hmm. than masculine, but not totally a woman. It was harder f- because it was trying to get the words that I, that I felt comfortable with, I think and also to, to realise that actually it's your choice and also there's not just a kind of TikToks one or the other, there's lots of mm. in-between and, and the kind of grey area so to speak.
1: And thank God there are those role models out there now, you know, there are, mm-hmm. trans, uh, there are non-binary people out in the public eye now, so that must have been hugely mm. comforting to you and, and helpful.
3: It was, I, I, I listened to um, Trans Like Me by C.N. Lester, And it took me a while to read it, to go through it, because there's lots of, you know, they go, uh, they go through some of the transphobic things that have happened to people and Mm. they would, that was tough, because it was like, this is kind of, I felt like it was me, it felt like it was me when, when you're hearing these people, these stories about people, you know, getting called out and you know, in, in sometimes committing suicide and things. So that that was kind of hard. But actually, once I got through that part and started getting into it, and actually it it made sense to me. It made sense to me so much more. And,
1: and, and deep down, you must have known that actually going through it would make you a happier person, would yeah. make you feel more you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because there was always this side of me that I was terrified of hmm. growing up. And, you know, I was always more interested in what my my mum and my sister were doing. You know, they were playing with makeup and nails. And I was like, wow, this is, I'd love to do that, but it wasn't, I wasn't, that wasn't allowed. That wasn't the world I could do, but I still was fascinated by it. And, it, you know, there was lots of things that kind of shone, shine through, I think. And, and just being able to explore that during lockdown as well was a nice thing because you can you could do it at home quite safely you know even going out you could put a mask on so nobody sees who you are what you look like and I think you know there's a few I've spoken to I started going to a a meetup for LGBTQ people in our area and it seems there's a few people that have actually come to terms with things over this period because it's given them the time to think the time to be and to realize, oh, actually, I'm actually more comfortable in this mode. And mm-hmm. I mean,
1: you're lucky now, that you're in a, a loving, supporting environment because the trouble is that some a lot of LGBT people have had is actually they've been with unsupportive parents or partners who have you know been misgendering them or you know, all sorts of stuff has happened during lockdown. So you must feel very yeah. grateful to have Amanda oh, yes. by your side, loving you and supporting you, yeah. presumably yeah. lending you more nail polish and lipstick. Oh, oh, she has more makeup and and nail polish than I've ever had.
3: (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Um, When we got together just at the beginning, I had more shoes. And clothes As a a man, I had more shoes than she did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there was always that kind of thing that I, I was fascinated by, the clothing, but I never felt comfortable in what I could get as a man. I love it. I love dressing up in things. I love putting makeup on, and it's just so much fun. And I was like, if it's fun and you enjoy it, then what's the, what's the problem? And it's just enabled me to kind of just have things which are fun and enjoyable. And and actually, it's encouraged you to you to to wear makeup more <laughs> now.
1: You're both wearing really lovely, bright lipstick. Well, I you've got to dress up for a Zoom call, haven't you, and in an interview, <laughs> Of course. You do, yeah. We never go out, so.
3: <laughs> well, this is it. And so, but it has for you. You Well,
4: I think that's why it hit me so strongly when she first put nail polish on, because hmm. I've always had an issue with makeup. It's not something that I naturally did. Uh, I, I felt like an imposter wearing it. So
1: <laughs>
4: she was suddenly doing something that I've never really done. And I was like, oh, it kind of made me look at my own femininity as well. Um, and I think that's why that in particular really, really hit me hard. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. This is, she's doing something really, really feminine here. But that's probably why it, it tweaked so much for me as well that something was going mm. on because it wasn't something that I naturally did.
1: But you accepted it, you know, your love was so strong, wasn't it? You mm. you just sort of embraced it, didn't you, by the sounds of it? Yeah. You went, went and, with it. I,
4: and and I think we always had a bit of a joke anyway, that Thea was more like the woman in our relationship than I was. So it was kind of just another step in in that process. But doing it has made me look at my own sexuality. And you know, I had always thought that I was 100% straight. I wasn't interested in women. And I I found myself one day like saying to Thea, I'm just not attracted to women. And then I was like, oh no, 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 no. Please don't take that the wrong way. I'm still really attracted to you. And I always will be. And, oh, hang on a minute.
1: Maybe I'm not straight. Um, Amanda, hold that thought because I want you to stay there. And when we come back, we want to hear your story because you, as a result of Thea coming out, you have been on your own extraordinary journey Mm -hmm. with your sexuality, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, stay right there.
0: You ready?
3: The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell.
1: Virgin Radio Pride. Well, thanks for joining us here on Virgin Radio Pride. If you missed the last um, 10 minutes or so, you have missed a treat because I've been chatting to Thea and Amanda. Thea, in the last part, told us her amazing story about coming to terms with her bisexuality and now identifying as non-binary, trans-feminine. But it's Amanda There's also, uh, Thea's wife, been on the most extraordinary journey over the last, what, is it only the last year or so, Amanda?
4: Yeah, Thea came out last, to me as non-binary, last September-ish, I think it was. But it was probably only since like January, February this year that it, it tweaked to me that, hang on a minute, because this relationship has changed and I'm perfectly okay with it and I've never questioned uh, the ability of, to adapt to this that maybe I'm not as straight as as I always thought I was which is an interesting thing to go through when you're in your late
1: 30s. Yeah so you were 36 and for you know quite a few years like over a decade you've been married to a person that at the time identified as the opposite gender Mm -hmm. or was presenting as the opposite gender you had a child together so to all intents and purposes you were straight woman in a straight relationship but Mm -hmm. all that kind of changed in the last 18 months didn't it
4: yes yeah and and I think I was thinking about it and realizing that that it could be really difficult it could be really challenging and i you know Mm. we've read stories of people where when their partner comes out as non-binary or transgender it just breaks up the relationship because they can't cope with it and it was never a question for me it was never a doubt in my mind I was just like I love Thea I love her completely. I can't imagine being without her. She isn't changing. She's changing the way that she expresses herself, mm. but she's still the same person that I fell in love with. Uh, and that then made me think, now I need to look at, at, at why that is. It, you know, why, why is it not a big deal for me? And that's when I started to go down the route of, but I've always felt like, oh, I'm attracted to guys and I'm not attracted to, to women. And, and it, it really confused me for a long, long time. Like I'd say to you, oh, I, um, Thea would ask me all these questions, she'd prod me. She was like, we've got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And she'd say things like, well, you know, um, could you imagine being in a relationship with a woman? And I'd go, well, I could imagine being in, in a nice, loving, you know, relate- I could imagine living with a woman. I could imagine cuddling up with her on the sofa and watching a film and telling her about my day. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I can imagine having sex with a woman. I don't know whether I'm attracted that way. But then I'd find myself saying crazy things like, oh, but she's so beautiful. And look at how beautiful the feminine form is. It's it's way nicer than the masculine form. You know, it's got all these <laughs> lovely curves and I'm like Whoa.
1: Well you're talking to a lesbian, so you don't need to convince me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and and for me, the, the biggest change came when I learned about asexuality. Oh, no. I'd never heard of that before. Mm. And, and when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me because you know we do have sex. I do enjoy having sex with my partner. But then I started to dig in and realize that asexuality doesn't mean that you don't enjoy having sex. It just means that you experience attraction in a different way you experience sexual attraction in a different way and I st- I realized that what I'd done and it was from listening to one of the coming out podcasts
1: actually when you um, interviewed uh, was it Rianne I think um, oh Rianne yeah I asexual. mean fairly recently I feel terrible that I've not had an asexual person <laughs> on coming out stories podcast since we've been doing it like two and a half years but we got there in the end and Rianne really helped educate me actually to understand what asexuality is about that it's about difference in sex drives isn't it you might be attracted to people you don't necessarily want to have sex with them though
4: yeah exactly and and within the first 10 minutes I was listening to it and going oh my god me too I'm like that That, I, I can remember doing that and it just clicked into place that you know as Thea said growing up under section 28 you were basically if you heard anything it was you're either straight or you're gay there was Nothing else. Mm -hmm. There was no in between. There was none of this nuance about different sexuality and different types of attraction. And so I remember when I was at university thinking, well, would I be attracted to a woman? Could I want to have sex with a woman? I was like, no. But I never then took my thinking to do I want to have sex with a man? Am I attracted to a man in that way? I just assumed if I wasn't gay, I must be straight. Because that is the standard norm thing that people tell you, you know, you're either one or the other. And so I just assumed that. But then looking back at our early relationship, uh, you know, Thea's the only person I've ever been in a relationship with.
1: See, that's extraordinary. I know you've just written an article about this, haven't you, actually, which I was reading this morning. I found it on Twitter. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so you never really had any other relationship. No, and I met Thea when I was
4: 24. Wow. So... And I wasn't really attracted to people growing up in in the same way that my friends were. So they'd be attracted to people who go, oh, look, they're so sexy. And and I was like, I'd be attracted to a character. So like going back to Doctor Who again, this is
1: showing our geeky nerdiness. I love this, this is great. Uh, (laughs) I hope Russell T Davies is listening to this.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Looking at the the character of the Doctor, uh, I was attracted to... David Tennant as the doctor and I was attracted to Matt Smith as a doctor because of the way that they played the doctor mm. but I was not attracted to the other actors as they were playing the character mm-hmm. and Take someone like David Tennant, if I see him in something else, I'm not attracted to him at all. It's not the way he looks, it is the characterization, the way that they played it.
1: Which might indicate you're more, you are sort of pansexual then, so you're, you're interested in the person, aren't you? And you're clearly in love with Thea, and yeah. it doesn't really matter to you what gender they are. You love the person, you love Thea's character and personality.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm in this stage of trying to figure out exactly where I am. So pansexuality or pan uh, romantic feels Mm -hmm. like it fits me. Mm -hmm. It's just how much of the asexuality comes into play. Because like I say, we, we, we enjoy sex together. But there's times when I'm like, I can take it or leave it. I've got no interest in that. I just want you to hold me and, and give me a cuddle and, you know, and that's it. And I always knew I wanted to be in a relationship. I always knew I wanted to get married and have a family. Probably the only way I've ever been truly traditional is is in that I knew that I wanted that. But when I envisioned it, it was always like an old married couple where it was comfortable and cozy and it wasn't this exciting. You know, the first time Thea kissed me, I completely freaked out. I like, to the point I threw up, it was too much. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's not a great ringing endorsement for the start of the relationship, is it, Theo? Like, yeah. I don't think I'd pursue it if someone threw up after kissing me. But it's, it's, you managed to work it out.
3: What happened was she she dashed away to the toilet, and then I went into the living room and sat and watched TV Sunday morning TV with her parents for about three hours, whilst I was like, "Hope she's all right. Hope nothing's gone wrong." And you calm down. Yeah. Basically, you calm down and. Your anxiety got to a level where i could actually come in the room and speak to you before i went off home
4: yeah and then the next day i contacted thea and said i don't i really i didn't understand what had happened because i knew that i really liked her but i'd had this really strong react physical reaction uh because i would just been so overwhelmed by the, the physicality of it um
1: and this and was Thea, your asexuality playing out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
4: Thea contacted me back and said, you know, if you want to go back to being friends, that's okay. And in that moment, my heart sank and I was like, that's not what I want at all. And that kind of pushed me over the, the, the that fear. And and this was like the October and we'd moved in together by the next March. You know, oh. we, we took it pretty quickly at that point that's the way that our relationship has always been. It's always been this understanding, this empathy, this care for the other person. And okay, what do you need? How can we deal with this? How
1: can we get through this? You've got an amazing relationship, What what people can't see, and I'm on a Zoom call with you so I can, is just how much you keep smiling at each other. It's just (laughs) warming my heart so much. It's so beautiful, it really is a beautiful love story. Um, Thea, I guess when Amanda started eventually questioning her sexuality and said, yes, maybe I am panromantic or bisexual or or whatever, um, you would have been absolutely thrilled because it meant confirmation of acceptance and understanding the fact that the relationship could
3: continue we were friends first. I think that was important to us both, that we were friends before we kind of got romantic. We And so we've always got that kind of thing to to fall back on. Um, but it, yeah, it and I, 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 like like she says, I did try and prod her, cause like, are you sure you're not something? And she was like, no, no, no. But I, I, I knew there was more to it than that. And it wasn't me pushing it on her in any way. It was her feeling, well, where do I sit in the big scheme of things and mm. and and how how that kind of goes with me? And, you know, there was a point where I kind of, my heart did sink a few times because it was like, well, I, I'm changing. You know, I'm going to be more different, more feminine. Mm. Um, is that, you know, is that going to be a problem? And, and I didn't think it would be, but I think it, it put up a lot of questions that she felt that she, she was, prepared to answer and, uh, and explore.
1: And, and that's been a, uh, well, relatively easy, I guess it's taken a lot of communication, a lot of talking between the two of you, but do you mind me asking how, um, your child's reacted? Cause that's another, another whole thing to consider, isn't it? Another whole human being in the family to consider.
3: Our son has, um, he's found it harder with me. He's found it harder.
1: And how old when... is he? He's he,
3: nine. He's nine. Okay. And, and it, he has autism and ADHD, so changes are hard anyway. Just yeah. routine changes are hard. I've tried to do it in small stages, and, and I've built up little bits. So initially he wasn't comfortable with me wearing nail polish, and then I just started doing it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then he got fine with it. And I've done that generally with most of my things. I've tried to introduce it slowly and, you know, not to make too many drastic changes and you know I think when you find out that oh that this is this whole thing I want to explore is to kind of jump in and and do it but I've had to be kind of quite tentative in my exploration let's say just to to make sure that it wasn't too overwhelming for him um and he still struggles with little bits of it but he's he's getting there he is getting there and he can't quite get his head around everything yet and you know He, still calls he,
4: me dad, he, yeah, he has times when he will really get upset and be like, "I wish you weren't changing." Hmm. Um, so we are in the process of um, getting him some therapy mm-hmm. so that he can talk through it with someone. Else, uh, yeah. we, we've wanted to do that all along, but he was very reluctant to talk to anybody but so we've just been gradually encouraging him and talking to him about how we have therapy and how it would be good for him to talk to someone other than us about what's going on. Um, but it's, it's hard, it's, it's really hard because you can see him getting upset and I can see his reaction upsetting Thea and trying to balance all
1: of that is is challenging mm-hmm. yeah and it's certainly bit be a journey won't it it's nothing's gonna happen overnight is it it's gonna be a, yeah. a journey to acceptance but yeah you have made so Theo, now we're sort of coming out of um lockdown a little bit do you think you'll be going out more and um presenting as a woman i mean i know you don't go out anyway because you're both registered disabled aren't you mm-hmm.
3: um yeah i've there's a, a local group that I've started going. They meet every Sunday uh, for a coffee. Um, and it's lovely. It's, I, I've met a couple of times and I've gone out. I went out last weekend in full kind of girl mode, as I say. But, Yay!
4: Uh, Wearing well, with a lovely dress, weren't you? It was, uh, oh. Jasper
3: Conrad, very nice. Um, <gasps> wow! And so, yeah, it was... And, but the nice thing is there are other trans people, trans masculine people, trans, trans women as well, uh, older people as well. So it's nice... To get a kind of different view and actually meet people who understand and and get you you know and there's the exciting thing they've started a lgbtq book club and um it's nice because it's actually enabled me to get out and meet some more people and yeah it's been a real uh, really exciting actually that's
1: great i've not even asked where in the country you are
3: at uh, lincoln we're in lincoln say. yeah
1: lincoln gosh yeah. it all goes on in lincoln who
4: knew
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> all um,
4: LGBT groups, brilliant. and i mean you have been out you've done you know the shops you've done the school run mm-hmm. um you came out at church easter sunday was the first time that that she went wearing more feminine clothing Ooh. to church how did that go down
3: it, I mean the church was kind of one of the hardest ones to come out to for me because there's lots of n- negative things in the general media about churches and general
1: Despite so, the fact all the men wear frocks but yes you're right, right.
3: <laughs> and so I I spoke to my pastor and sent him an email and they were really lovely really mm. really supportive great and, um you know just want to help you make sure safeguarding's in for you um and you know do you want us to tell everyone and let people know and ahead of time so there's no questions and And they did they they sent out and and they said they said to you that nobody said anything untoward untoward and we we
4: have quite an aging congregation most of the people Um, are
1: over the age of 70
4: 70. (laughs) and they've
1: all been so wonderful oh well do you know what this just goes to show doesn't it if you know pensioners in their 70s living in lincoln attending church can be accepting and um, embrace the lgbtq community then we all can
4: yeah exactly i mean we're very lucky with our church they are genuinely very open i mean for the last few years we've opened up on halloween for trick-or-treaters and you know we do all these things that a lot of more conservative churches would be like no we're not doing that you know that's that's the devil no no you know (laughs) (laughs) so we that's one of the reasons we chose the church because it was so open and accepting Mm. because we're not typical christians to begin with even before you bring in the Mm. the lgbtq stuff
3: um and I think with, uh, you know, with, uh, going back to the congregation, they've been very, really lovely. I had one of the ladies, she, she got me a load of handbags and shopping bags and she, wow. put, she put together a little, uh, toilet, uh, like a kind of makeup thing, um, with day and night cream. And she put, she put night on the night cream and written it in pen just, just to make sure that I knew. And it was really lovely and sweet. And, um, it, it, I nearly burst into tears just right there and uh, but it was so lovely and just little things like that and they always call me by my by my chosen name um and they're all really lovely and open about it and you know I think it's it's helpful because you know as I don't get I don't get out many places uh, than I, I would like to it's one of the places that I actually really wanted to make sure I could still go and yeah, cool. feel safe and and it was that was the most nerve-wracking because I do like going there and it's a nice community and
4: and also you're like you and and one of our friends run the mm -hmm. youth group at the church so there was always that question of will they be okay with Mm -hmm. with that and there's been no issue
3: at Uh, all I mean uh, yeah I mean COVID has stopped a lot of the things within the church anyway so Mm. yeah you know going forward it's you know it's kind of it's nice and it's a safe place that I can go and be myself.
1: This has been the most heartwarming story I've
3: heard in a long
1: time. (laughs) But before you go, any words of advice, particularly from you, Amanda, in terms of um, maybe other couples that are going through somebody changing their gender identity or or people coming out within relationships? Because there must be other people listening who are, you know, really struggling as a couple and haven't got to the stage where you two are at at the moment. I would say uh, reach out
4: uh, read as much as you can. So read other people's stories. Uh, I think one of the reasons I was so able to cope with it is because for several years prior to Thea coming out, I'd been following several LGBTQ bloggers. I'd been following, uh, our transitional life, which is, uh, Kelly and Zoe. Zoe's a transgender woman. Mm. So I'd followed other people's journeys and seen these, uh, Mm-hmm. these different experiences. And so it wasn't completely out of the blue. I, I had something, some form of reference. Mm-hmm. And then what I did this year was I just started reading so much um, LGBTQ fiction and nonfiction. I mean, I, I the amount of books that I've ordered from Queer Lit this year, it's ridiculous. You know, it's
1: constantly coming in. But that uh, well, has... We love them. In fact, that's how we... Um got this interview sorted wasn't it Matt from Queerlit put us together yeah so thank you Matt from (laughs) Queerlit.co.uk plug in for him (laughs) um but but
4: that has been so instrumental in helping me to see such a wide range of experiences Mm. um because you can't go through it on your own and being able to talk to people online you know I've I've basically come out online uh talking to people on twitter on instagram on my blog I said to you this morning I hadn't really realized that the blog post that I wrote yesterday that you read this morning was basically my coming out story and I was Mm. like oh hang on I've just come out and it hadn't really twinked because I've just been so used to talking to people online and and getting that feedback and that support Uh, and support is so important and and I
3: think seeing the seeing a dynamic that that uh, you can have a dynamic where there's two people they can get on and be together and still love each other mm. it's really actually comforting to see other people out there that actually it doesn't mean that the end of everything it it could mean it changes it could mean it it is different but and it has its okay. challenges
4: it's difficult you know we're not going to sit here and go it's all being no. plain sailing you know there are <laughs> no. times when it's it's hard but you know we are here and one of the reasons we're sharing it is to say you know it is possible to do this and actually it has been so joyous fear is the happier I have ever known her and yeah. that is such a joyful thing for me that why would I want anything different? You
1: know oh, that is beautiful. Well thank you so much for sharing your story on Virgin Radio Pride with me. And yeah I really I really do believe that listening to this will help help a lot of other people a lot of other couples. So thank you. No, thanks for
0: having us. This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast.
1: Hiya, it's Mia Goldswell. I hope you were listening a little bit earlier when we were chatting to Amanda and Thea. It was so good to hear from them and really thrilled that they could take so much time out to tell their story so honestly, so in depth, and so openly. It's not easy, is it, to talk about things like your your gender identity and your sexuality, especially when it's all fairly new to them. This is all stuff that's happened to them in their mid-30s. they go going on a right sort of A journey of awakening, haven't they, really? So really grateful for them sharing their story. If you're interested in finding out more, they do have a podcast. They love talking. They are very good at it. Um, It is called An Unconventional Life. You can find it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want a right smorgasbord of different coming out stories, it would be rude of me not to recommend my own podcast as well, wouldn't it, really? Um, It is simply called Coming Out Stories, and uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Us from as well. Hopefully we'll go and find somebody that um, you identify with and that you can get real inspiration from. Right, coming up, if you feel maybe excluded because you're a bit older and you don't really feel that like the gay scene or even pride is uh, aimed at you or catered for you or you don't feel safe or comfortable then stay with me because we'll be finding out about self Pride aimed at the elder members of our community um, and also by the way if you're interested in Pride and the history of Pride then take yourself off to virginradio.co.uk at some point and um, you'll find an article on there actually which is called A Brief History of Pride and it's exactly that so starting from the Stonewall riots of uh, 1969 in New York you'll find out about all of the first Prides across the world and get a little bit of a historical context on Prides. So there you go, a little bit of um, evening reading for you later maybe. You ready?
3: The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell. Virgin Radio Pride.
1: Well, this is exciting. This is something that I didn't even know about until last week when my next guest contacted me and said, you need to be talking about Silver Pride. Let's speak to Craig Burton. Craig, what's it all about then?
0: Yeah, so um, I've been working in the older people space for quite some time, set up something called uh, Friends of Dorothy, which is very successful in Manchester. I moved to France. and, And then when lockdown came, all these older people that we've been sort of enticing and dragging out of isolation and loneliness were suddenly told to go back home and isolated and lonely again mm. and getting older older people online it's a, a particular challenge so we just got this idea i was speaking to o2 um oh, not advertising for anybody a certain telephone company um, and they said oh we've got some budget for uh pride have you got any ideas well suddenly i thought yeah easy yeah, i'll think of an idea so we thought about silver pride and doing it as an online an online celebration for, particularly for older and older older people but inclusive in terms of uh, intergenerational stuff that might celebrate them, because pride for older people, uh, me included, I'm 55, the idea of dragging myself around a pride parade is, 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 I'd rather, you know, stab myself in the eye with a fork sometimes, but I still want to celebrate our journey.
1: And that's true, actually, but it's interesting. I was speaking to uh, a lesbian in her early 70s last week and she was saying, you know, she would found lockdown really isolating and it's been really, really hard, actually. And, you know, a lot of the scene is geared up towards younger people and a lot of older people don't want to go to the bars and the nightclubs, which are slowly starting to open up again. You know, it's not it's not a space that is necessarily inclusive for a lot of older people, is it?
0: Well, it's not been for quite some time. And, and, and we all know, mm. let's let's face it, we've got a debate on Silver Pride Weekend, actually. It's about why is the LGBT scene so youth-obsessed? Mm. Uh, and I, I, I gave a talk to a conference the other day. I said, you know, the future doesn't belong to young people. It belongs <laughs> to all of us doesn't it it belongs to everybody everybody Mm. can play a part till the moment you draw your last breath and i hope you do this emma because you're particularly interested and you do some great stuff but just because you're older doesn't mean that you can't contribute to society look at Mm. captain tom 100 years old raising 30 million quid. talk talk me through the future not belonging to him he can still influence (laughs) that's
1: a very good example
0: yeah so so, so, yeah so so i our, our if you look at the, the giants whose shoulders we stand in our community the lgbtq plus they all had you know we all had our beginnings and we all have a story to tell and, and we wouldn't have our liberty right now we certainly wouldn't have same-sex marriage uh, uh same-sex marriage without aids and hiv happening for instance so that that all these things are major things that have happened in our society and they've been lived through by our older communities so i thought Older people don't want it. There's nowhere to st- nowhere to sit down in a bar. Your pink pound as an older person isn't worth half as much uh, when you look at the uh, 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 translation for, from the mm. pink pound to the real pound for your older people. So actually, let's give them a, let's give them a bit of a bash. So that's what we've done, and we, it's our second year. We get some massive following. We get celebrities out of our ears if we want them um, and it's just a celebration to include everybody but the, but the big thing is that we have fringe silver prides in every city connected to all the other prides that they do something a little bit special for their older people
1: Ah, that's good, isn't it? Because not everyone and everyone's a bit bored of Zoom parties now, aren't they? I'm doing stuff online, so if the fact that there is a physical space where people could go and meet up actually is really quite enticing to people, I guess. So, which that's different good. prides have you got involved with
0: them? Right, so we've got we've got at the moment we've got Leeds, Bradford, Keighley. We've got so, uh, Birmingham. We've got uh, a few around London. Some 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 groups. So oh, we, it's a, it's an opportunity to get the, all the older groups because mm. is about four or five get them all together once because often they don't all want to get together once Mm. and um, so so it's kind of an out of the box um you can run your little do for silver pride and it's like a network and we put all the dates on there so if you're an older person you can actually go visit the other ones as well if you like um and it's something for you so it's something a little bit special Easy because trying to get these things sorted out with older, older older people and volunteers is difficult. So the branding is all there. It's all just out of the box stuff.
1: When, when you say older, what are we talking? Are we talking my age and up? So I turned 50 this year. So am I eligible? You're older.
0: You're older. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, kiddo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're officially older if you're 50. It's a killer, is it? It kills me. Uh, I've got so much to do yet. Um, and then you're older, older if you're over 75. Okay. So does
1: that mean people aged younger couldn't go? Or is it, is everybody welcome?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've got, last year we had the Sundays, we had uh, some great DJs, some DJ sets. And yeah, it's it's a celebration. It's interesting, you see. So people, younger, once we, I know that once we connect our younger generation, our real younger generation with our older generation, it's like fairy dust. Magic and sparkles happen because you, they, they they suddenly see they're not mm. sexual predators they're not one because that, that's what older gay men often are are, are referred as you know but
1: that, that's what they were told not, in the seventies and eighties that's for sure
0: absolutely absolutely and you know what they're the sweetest kindest most wonderful uh, part of our community that often because they uh, you know they they they, they are lonely and isolated and and we don't see them they just disappear um, so we're bringing them back out again.
1: Fantastic. well you don't need to convince me I am in 100% Tell us about what's happening online then because that's where most of your events are taking place
0: yeah so, so it's uh, it is online it's not virtual it is online so uh, it's going to be a whole uh, celebration weekend so we start off on Friday evening with a little bit of a welcome and we've got
1: um, when is it Craig
0: uh, it's sorry it's the uh, Saturday the 29th Friday the 29th Saturday the 30th of July and Sunday, the 1st of August. Mm-hmm. finishes. It's um, it's kind of a watch party, but you don't have to stick glued to it, and it's all recorded as well, but we encourage people to secure a ticket, an entry ticket, and they might want to make a contribution, but if they do make a contribution, the great thing, the really cool thing that we've done this year, we've partnered with the LGBT Consortium, which is the national, you'll know who they are, the national national um spokespeople for lgbt third sector groups right they sound um, important yes they are particularly important and they, they're great people and we've partnered with them as our charity partner this year odl london um yeah, which is uh, the other big older people's support group uh, or the biggest one in the uk um, and we've set up something called the silver pride fund so this is quite important in that it's a fund. It's somewhere where people can donate, leave legacy. It's all run by the Charities charities Commission signed off. It will be uh, with the LGBT consortium. And it's where we set up micro grants and um, to enable other smaller LGBT, older and intergenerational groups to start up.
1: Right, run us through some of the highlights though. Why should people get involved and get online at the end of July?
0: Right, so you're going to hear and see things that you've never seen before. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have exclusive, we have exclusives from uh, Alan Cumming, who is the actor, Hollywood yeah. actor, talking about him and his journey and his influences. Uh, he's really well supportive of us. We've got to be as inclusive and diverse as we possibly can, and that's that in itself. When you're working with older people, is particularly challenging. Uh, so we've got a little bit of everything for everybody. We've got uh, Simon Callow and a woman called April Ashley. April Ashley.
1: Ah, the... really important. If you speak to any older trans people, April uh, Ashley yeah. was their hero. She's fabulous.
0: Yeah. She talk- She speaks like the queen, but she's from rough end of Liverpool. She's fabulous. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> but uh, so we've got we've got April Ashley, who is the first trans uh, trans woman um, to have a uh, trans uh, to, to have a uh, reassignment surgery in the uk so we've got april ashley uh we've got all sorts of bits of music bits of performers we're still appealing if there's somebody out there that wants to perform oh. they better be good though
1: but very yeah. very good, yeah. And you've got the oldest drag queen in that's still um, working yeah. in, the, in the high Hills in Britain, yeah. haven't you?
0: We've got we've, we've got Maisie Trollette. You you in fact you and I are old enough, but I don't know whether you ever saw the Trollette. So I I saw them in the New Penny in Wales a few times actually, and they were they were particularly good. She's a, a drag artiste. Don't ever call her a drag queen.
1: Oh, sorry, I not <laughs> hard, worked,
0: I, 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 got, I got picked up because she sings her own songs. You know, she sings. Much Amazing, much and still working at what age? Uh, she is, at, well, she's actually 86. I got it wrong, somebody told me she was 90. She's actually 86. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> and, and, and she's still as funny as ever, but we've got a really interesting couple of debates because um, it's kind of about challenging about debating. We've got a debate around uh, the changing face of drag. Why has it gone from that bawdy, kind of uh, naughty, saucy, postcard kind of humour to RuPaul, where it's about makeup and miming? What, what's, what's, the, what's been the paradigm shift there? Why is that? And, and, and there's actually some really interesting stuff to come out good. of that. We'll have a good and debate. Another, yeah, and we've got another great debate about uh, why is the LGBT scene so youth-obsessed? that's an interesting debate and that's something that we do need to address we're not going to kill anybody for it but it's something that we need to think about and and, and so So so
1: loads to get involved in at the end of july then so which is the website where do we all need to be going then
0: yeah yeah, yeah. we're going to uh, uh, www.silverprideuk.com (laughs)
1: silverprideuk.com
0: And uh, we've got an email address just at the moment because we, re- we rehashed everything we've got on your brand. It's fabulous. And uh, the email address for people want to get in touch is silverpride21 at gmail.com.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm sure loads of people older and hopefully younger as well will get involved as well. And of course, Oops. the good thing about the online stuff is you can do it from anywhere in the world. In fact, you're organising this all from your rather nice house in France. And in fact, I think you've set the record for the person that I want to defriend the quickest on Facebook. You only asked to be my friend about three days ago. Yeah. I already want to unfriend really you <laughs> because I've seen how lovely your garden is in France.
0: Well, it's also, but like, it, it's something to do. You know, it's, this is really, it's really interesting stuff. This, and you know what? Wherever you, we've got a Hollywood actor doing a thing from Hollywood on Silver Pride as well. So, um, who? What a- Hollywood guy. actor? Uh, oh, it's a guy called Craig Thomas. He's uh, uh, in, in, intersectional. You know. Black, uh, Hollywood actor, lives in LA, 60 years old, was the supporting actor in Source Code with Jake Jake Gyllenhaal. And he talks about what it was like to be an out gay man of colour, because that's Mm -hmm. what they say in the United States, uh, and around the sort of 80s and 90s. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff that we've got a lot to learn from.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you for organising it and getting all us wrinklies together in one place. And long may Silver Pride continue. Thank you, Emma.
0: Thanks very much.
1: Well, unbelievably, that is um, pretty much it from me, Emma Goswell, this week. Uh, the time has come to say a fond farewell. Thank you so much for your company. I hope you've really enjoyed all of the interviews I brought you this week. If you've got an idea, by the way, if you think, Emma, why are you not talking about this little organisation that really helps our community or, or why are you are not shouting about this particular campaigner or this particular person that's got a great story... Let me know. I'm open to suggestions. You can follow me on Twitter, at Emma Goswell, um, and I'll follow you back if you've got a great suggestion. I would say follow me on Instagram, I'm the Goswell, but I'm absolutely rubbish at it and I don't fully understand it. Um, So, yeah, don't bother. Um, But please do join me next week. I'll be back and I'm going to be joined next week by two brothers, one of whom came out as non-binary. You'll hear both of their stories here on The Weekend Outing next week.